Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. Aaron, how did you and Sabrina wind up spending New Year's Eve this year? Uh, We hung out with Miley Cyrus and Pete Davidson. Live from oh. Miami, and uh, yeah, watched that while drinking uh, mimosas all night. Okay, and I have to ask about the wardrobe malfunction. Was it noticeable, or? Well, yeah, after a while, I noticed there was quite a breeze, and people were staring at me and, and starting to point, <laughs> and then I realized I had no pants on. Um. Oh, the Miley thing also <laughs> oh, happened where she okay. also and yeah, it was it was perfectly obvious. There was no doubt as the moment was happening where we're mm-hmm. nudging each other, going, "Is this a Janet Jackson revived? Is it gone mm-hmm. from Super Bowl to New Year's where we get a little extra pop from the the champagne cork?" And uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. she covered up. It was fine. There was there was no incident to worry about. Speaking of which, there is a Janet Jackson documentary that evidently is going to address the infamous Super Bowl thing and how Justin Timberlake walked away from that with literally no career consequences where Janet was kind of hung out to dry. You know, it's funny. I've actually got in an old box some old newspapers for such an occasion where uh, we find the person that decided to have this documentary made. And then I go to that box of newspapers and I find one and I roll it up real tight and I swat them on the nose and go, no, bad, bad. Don't do that. You stop it. Bad dog. Might be a little too late for that, but I do appreciate your dedication to recycling. On the other hand, here for New Year's Eve, Nancy and I stayed in and we watched Being the Ricardos, which kind of a mixed bag. I mean, they got the period... Details right. And yet another stellar performance by J.K. Simmons. He was William Frawley, Fred Mertz in this, and just stole every scene he was in. On the other hand, Nicole Kidman is Lucille Ball. I don't know what's going on with her face lately. I mean, I don't know if it if they did a bunch of appliances to make her look more like Lucille Ball, or if this is a Botox situation, but... When you're playing one of the most famous comedians in entertainment history, you need to be able to move your face. And it was kind of like Nicole was being a very large orange-haired Barbie doll. It was um, a little strange. But again, that's how I spent my new year. And I got to tell you, Aaron, I'm experiencing some very heavy deja vu right about now, both in a good and a bad way. So trying to stay focused on the good stuff, like Hugh Jackman, Wolverine from the Fox X-Men movies. is appearing on Broadway in a revival of the music band. And we'll talk about Hugh wound up as Wolverine on the second half of today's show. But first, the news. And the news portion of this week's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Aaron, so let's get started with the good news, shall we? Okay. This past Sunday, Spider-Man No Way Home grossed $613 million domestic, $759 million overseas, worldwide box office total of $1,370,000,000, which now makes this John Watts movie the 10th highest grossing film 
domestically of all time, just surpassed a North American gross of Incredibles 2, and it will pass Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi sometime later today. Uh, worldwide, on the other hand, it just passed Black Panther in ticket sales and is closing in on Age of Ultron. So the big question at this point is, can Spider-Man No Way Home continue to sell tickets at this pace, especially given what's going on with Omicron right now? So this is Sony's biggest film ever, right? Box office? Is, yes, and they'd love for it to get bigger. What, uh, what, what do you think's happening over there? Does that... Uh, I, I would assume they've already got a champagne bottle out of the way that happens on opening night. Did someone get a car? Did they get a house? Did they get a whole hotel? What was the bonus and who got it? I would imagine that Amy Pascal, now mind you, this is the first one under the new deal with Marvel, mm -hmm. uh, where I want to say, wasn't it Marvel put up 25% of the money and also gets 25% of the ticket sales, okay. something to that effect. So, I mean, everybody's got to be thrilled with this pile of money, which they, again, they hope gets larger. But we are recording on Tuesday, January 4th, which is when the United States reported a record single day number of daily COVID cases with more than a million new infections. To put that quickly in perspective, there are 98,000 people who are currently hospitalized with COVID, and most of them, the highly infectious Omicron variant. Mind you, last September, there were 103,000 hospitalized, and that was when the Delta variant was surging, which, again, scary number, but not nearly as scary as what was going on last winter when there were 137 million people hospitalized here in the States. I don't know if you saw the press conference early today. President Biden speaking from the White House, reminding Americans they do have tools at their disposal, like the vaccine or the booster when it comes to managing COVID. Here's the pertinent quote. I know we're all tired and frustrated about the pandemic. These coming weeks are going to be challenging. If you're vaccinated and boosted, you are highly protected. Be concerned about Omicron, but don't be alarmed. If, on the other hand, if you're unvaccinated, you have some reason to be alarmed. Please wear your mask in public to protect yourself and others. We're going to get through this. We have the tools to protect people from severe illness due to Omicron if people choose to use the tools. I shared this quote because as far as the entertainment industry is concerned, it's the phrase, these coming weeks are going to be challenging. That is scaring executives out in Hollywood. With the U.S. now averaging 480,000 new COVID infections per day. There are folks out West who are now wondering how long before the order comes down to close all of the theaters in North America again out of the, and here's the phrase they always use folks, an abundance of caution. I bring this up because just yesterday, Monday, January 3rd, Sony announced that they were pushing back the release date of Morbius from January 28th Three plus weeks from today to April 1st, which is 12 and a half weeks from now. April Fool's Day? <laughs> yes, Whoa, April I Fool's feel a joke coming on and I don't know how to new mutants it. The other thing that a lot of people pointed out is this is the sixth release date for Morbius. And on last week's show, we were just talking about how executive at Sony and Columbia Pictures were so excited about Morbius's box office potential. Because again, this Daniel Espinosa film was going to be the Marvel movie that was arriving in theaters between Spider-Man No Way Home and its eagerly awaited follow-up, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Which, by the way, as of today, still has a May 6th release date. 
Now, some folks will tell you that the main reason that Morbius got pushed back to April 1st is that Spider-Man No Way Home is continues to make so much money in the North American box office. And over the, the New Year's weekend, this John Watts movie sold $56 million worth of tickets. But with No Way Home continuing to racking up record ticket sales in the States, and by the way, Sony and Columbia Pictures are reportedly readying a Best Picture promotional push, which will hopefully translate into to some Oscar gold for Spidey once award season rolls around. And, and Aaron, when we were pre-gaming, you, you were offering up your thoughts about this. Well, it's a changing of viewpoints over a gradual, long, long course of time. A few shows ago on fine-tuning, Drew Taylor was mentioning how he believed that Dune was going to have the edge when it came to the special effects category for the Oscars. And the reason for it was it was a prestige film. And to me, uh, when I look up into my Aaron Adams Dictionary of Human Language book, a prestige film translated into a movie that everyone's going to like because it came from a book that was very popular many decades ago. And when I look over at Spider-Man, well, I see a very popular character that's many people like from many, many decades ago that came from uh, another book. It just happened to be a comic book. So there, I, I think that Spider-Man could be a prestige film if you want to put it through a specific lens and view it that way. But people have to be on board with that transition. Right. And they do. and so they do. you were mentioning that the borders are creeping in via way of things like Logan when we, when it came to script writing, getting mm -hmm. a yeah, nod there in the Oscars. It did. It did. Back in 2017, first ever superhero movie to receive a, a nomination for a best screenwriting award. But again, you also have to remember with Logan, uh, you know, that when that came out, 2017 really wasn't all that long ago, but since then we've had Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which actually took home the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature that year, and people were heaping praise on that left and right, and the reviews for Spider-Man No Way Home have almost been universally glowing. Right. It's a different time, but I think Drew isn't wrong. If you're a betting man, at least you know, when it comes to Dune, there's a certain amount of recognition that that film should get something come award season. But uh, but at the same time, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home is coming up fast. And speaking of which, with No Way Home continuing to do huge business, in theory, Pushing Morbius is released back a few months. So No Way Home then has the spotlight all to itself and can do better during award season because there isn't another Marvel movie. You know, it's typically one about a vampire coming out and sort of snagging the spotlight. But on the other hand, off the record, if you talk with folks at Sony and Columbia Pictures, they will tell you that one of their main concerns about Morbius is that three weeks from now, will, will movie theaters still even be open? They really don't want to fumble what could turn out to be a potentially huge payday for the company, especially in the heels of audiences who are just chomping at the bit for more Marvel goodness before Multiverse of Madness arrives in theaters in, on May 6th. Do you see any uh, sign or indication that the nation is going to say, this particular industry has to shut down because we don't like what's going on with Omicron? Uh, what kind of freaked out the, the folks in exhibition? I don't know if you saw the CDC passed down a ruling last week 
about advising people to steer clear of cruise ships. Yep. And cruise ships push back hard to the effect of, now, wait a minute, you know, we are the ones who've been strictly adhering to this and we do testing of all passengers. And, you know, I want to say they have an incident of, is it, was it 0.02 or maybe 0.06? Less than 1% of passengers came down sick. Mm. And so the notion that the CDC passed this down, and this is before. Uh, any, you know, face it, we are still in that kind of horrifying moment of, you know, all the people who went home to visit with family for the holidays right. or all the people who went to New Year's Eve parties or stood in Times Square. The, the CDC handing down that recommendation was simply a recommendation. Mm -hmm. And my belief is that we're in a time of personal responsibility. All true. And that all true. there is a vaccine available. There are masks available. There is, are some places that are letting you go back to working from home again as an option. Mm -hmm. We got hit so hard last time because we were so unprepared and things had to shut mm -hmm. down and restaurant workers, you know, I mean, like you, you couldn't open, so you lose your staff. And then you go mm -hmm. to reopen and you've got no staff. And then you got to mm -hmm. hire everybody back. And right now there's still places that have staffing problems, right? So mm -hmm. I don't sure. think that anybody in any government situation is going to recommend that we do shut down anything ever again. I get that. I get that. But the fear is coming out of the new year, coming out of all these folks going home and visiting that there have been super spreader events oh, sure. and Omicron was already hugely infectious. In Absolutely. fact, uh, to circle back to the phrase everybody's using out of an abundance of caution. Right. If in two and three weeks we are still at a point where we're seeing over a million, you know, infections a day, the nightmare scenario is like, okay, we're going to shut down for a week. We're going to shut down for two weeks. And remember the ripple effect that had, I mean, for example, there is the musical version of Mrs. Doubtfire that just opened on Broadway and literally early this week announced that they are pausing performances, not just for a week, not just for a month. They're not coming back till mid-March, which tells you that in much the same way that each state has its own way of dealing with COVID, you know, each of the entertainment industries, even individual shows and that sort of thing are taking different approaches. Where the calculus got interesting, though, was that while this is not, not official yet, in the classic food chain of, you know, I, I hit film, it was going to be released digitally. And then two weeks after that, you know, you could go to your Best Buy, you could go to your Target and purchase your physical Blu-ray or DVD. And what's interesting is you can order this right now, but they won't tell you what date it's being delivered. What the studios are telling the big boxes is to anticipate that on or about March 1st, Spider-Man No Way Home will be available for digital, HD, through Amazon Video and iTunes. And then two weeks later, uh, physical copies of the Blu-ray and DVD version of No Way Home will hit store shelves. So that was another thing that was in the calculus at Sony and Columbia Pictures to the effect of if we're in a situation where we have to hand this film off to our other partners and we have to be ready to do that. And if COVID is going to necessarily restrict people going back to theaters, we don't want to be in competition with ourselves. So let's take Morbius out of the, the equation 
And but even then, it then became a conversation with Marvel Studios to the effect of it, like, hey, 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 we have a locked-in release date of May sixth for Multiverse of Madness. Historically, that's when we look at Endgame, when we look at uh, Infinity Wars. You know, that has become the new sort of launch date for the summer blockbuster season. So you need to respect our, you know, and not horn in on our turf. And so they were asking. You know, we want you to release this six weeks before Multiverse of Madness opens. Whereas the folks at Sony were looking at, you know, well, geez, we're going to be having that'll that'll have uh, Morbius opening at theaters just as the Blu-ray of Spider-Man goes on sale and is going, no, 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 we need to do four weeks. You know, we need two weeks of people, you know, having the disposable entertainment income to buy their copy of the Blu-ray of No Way Home. And then, you know, they'll have other entertainment money available to go to the theater to see Morbius. And they finally split the difference and agreed to five weeks. But yeah, I mean, for me, I just, I love this sort of entertainment industry, three-dimensional chess where it's like, this is our release date, and you need to respect that. And it's like, well, I respect your release date, but I also have the Blu-ray of No Way Home breathing down my neck. You know, and you you need to give us some leeway here. Mm. Marvel should be a little bit more open to the idea of putting Spider-Man out on digital and Blu-ray really tightly with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Not as a distraction, but as a hell of a good promotion. Hey, remember how mm-hmm. that movie ended? And you can't wait to see this movie because we got to, remember we had to put the trailer at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what better connective tissue than the you know the the trailer being your end credit scene for the movie that's coming out just moments after the the Blu-ray drops of of Spider-Man? They should really kind of dive into that whole. I don't want to say riding the coattails of, but it's a hell of a lead in to their movie. Most movies don't get that kind of a lead in. You are not wrong. But if you think of this from the big boxes point of view, who have, you know, they've just come out of Christmas and they are, they're also dealing with the exact same thing. For example, my local target, once again, you know, you, as you walk up to the store, there is now a sign on the outside to the effect of, you know, if you're coming into the store, please wear a mask. And sales have dropped because people are now, once again, kind of freaked out about potentially going out and getting Omicron. So something like this, a super hit movie, they want it sooner than later. And they have already made promises to Marvel to the effect of, we'll give you the end cap. You know, you walk into the store, it'll be one of the very first things you see. And especially at a time where, frankly, because of what's going on with digital, they're not selling nearly as many physical copies of Blu-rays or DVDs. This is another huge potential financial windfall because if you're going to buy a movie this year a physical copy of something chances are it's like oh yeah that one i saw in movie theater i really really enjoyed i want that to be able to watch that at home and then again as long as we're talking three-dimensional chess here in calculus so why don't the folks at sony and columbia pictures do what disney did last year with morbius why don't they put it out in theaters at the same time as they make it available through premium access. Remember, Disney got $29 out of every person who decided they didn't want to go to a movie theater to see that Kate Sherlin movie. But if they wanted to watch Blackwood at home, they had to, in addition to having a subscription to Disney+, Plus, they had to pay that $29 fee. 
And Disney's been very upfront about, yeah, you know, that, that opening weekend of Black Widow, we got $60 million in premium access money. But only just like in the last week to 10 days, Aaron, Disney has been upfront about what they lost. And this was strictly through piracy because Black Widow instantly became available on the same day it was released to theaters digitally through its premium access on Disney+. Plus. It then traveled the globe instantaneously. And the number that Disney's now finally willing to admit that potential revenue that was lost through the decision of putting it out through premium access $600 million. I bet that's some fuzzy math they got going on there. Uh, how many downloads did they actually... They should just say how many people downloaded it, because I believe what they're doing they, is... They actually... The, the article, uh, this was, I want to say, in The Hollywood Reporter, and, and they did include the number of folks who had downloaded it. It was 200 million people worldwide. So they're figuring each person who downloaded it, that was $3 lost. So you can understand from Sony and Columbia's side of the fence, they have this Marvel movie that's coming out after No Way Home that is doing ridiculous business and people are primed and hungry for a new Marvel movie. So to even partially throw that away through premium access, it's just, no, we can't do that. You know, we have a unicorn. We have a huge payday here. We have to make the best use of this resource. You know, we have shareholders. We have a responsibility to the studio. So if you think about all of the other Sony and Columbia Picture titles over the past 22 months that got tripped up by the pandemic, it's, it's also especially crucial that Morbius be released at the best possible time with the, the strongest possible promotion to cash in on No Way Home. And again, this is why it got pushed back from January 28th to April 1st. But you're right. You would want the digital version of No Way Home coming out as close as possible to Multiverse of Madness because, you know, what better way to tee up that movie and send people back into theaters? But but again, it's not just movies that have been tripped up by the pandemic. As we mentioned earlier, Broadway has been suffering as well. In fact, the highly anticipated revival of, of Meredith Wilson's Music Man, uh, which starring Hugh Jackman as Professor Harold Hill and Sutton Foster as Mary and the Librarian, this was supposed to open on Broadway 15 months ago, Aaron. Uh, but COVID canceled that plans. And as of right now, uh, Music Man is supposed to open on Broadway early next month, on, on February 10th to be exact. Um, now, mind you, Music Man, which is still in previews at this point, had to cancel uh, a bunch of performances when first Sutton Foster came down with the COVID, and then Hugh Jackman was waylaid by the pandemic. But anyway, folks, tell you what, uh, in a moment, Aaron and I will talk about how Hugh, back in 1999, got cast as Logan. But first, this message. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last bit of news before we start uh, talking about Mr. Jackman. 
Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios, was sighted down at Walt Disney World over the long New Year's Eve weekend. Kevin was spied at Epcot, where it was reported that Mr. Feige had gotten in a test ride on Guardians of the Galaxy. Kevin was supposedly very pleased with how this storytelling coaster is coming along. Mind you, they still need to install the film elements, with which Mr. Gunn, James Gunn, is supposedly working on as he works on Guardians 3, as well as the Guardians holiday special. I gotta wonder, is is all of the film elements, they've all gotta be for pre-show, like pre-ride things, right? I mean... Mm, actually, no. I mean, what are they gonna have, um, like, Star-Lord going, Hey, look, I'm As you just go screaming by him on a roller coaster? Well, remember, it's a storytelling coaster. I don't know what it, that it, means, Jim. I just know roller okay, coasters a on a story, track. Well, but. all right. If you you actually chase down the uh, – Disney at this point has posted a number of pieces of footage of, of the, the actual coaster that's been designed for uh, Cosmic Rewind. And what's kind of intriguing about it is that the vehicles on the actual physical coaster train – can twist and turn to the side. For example, normal coaster, you're locked into position, you're facing forward, where these can then, dependent on what you're passing, they can turn to direct your attention in much the same way as uh, an Omnimover, like on the Haunted Mansion. The ride car can turn and make sure that you're looking at a specific element or a specific scene to get a specific show beat. This is one of the reasons why supposedly the show building is five times the size inside of Spaceship Earth, is that in addition to the usual twists and turns that you get on a roller coaster and the drops, uh, there's going to be some moments in this thing where your vehicle deliberately slows down and your vehicle pivots to the side to catch a screen where you'll get additional film elements or, you know, that sort of thing. Ah, see, that's the thing that now makes sense is the slowing down mm -hmm. part. Because I figure, you know, you launch, you, you drop from that hill, you're going 60 miles an hour, and then you're like, mm -hmm. as he goes flying by, you know, and you're like, what the heck was that? Was that a tree? I missed it. It was a blur, My a brown blur. There's one of the reasons that they are doing so much test and adjust with this thing. Well, that sounds neat now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it works as well. But speaking of things that sound neat, I don't know if you've seen the reviews that are out there now for Peacekeeper, uh, which debuts on HBO Max on January 13th. But evidently, the, the first three episodes, uh, which were written and directed by Mr. Gunn, have been released to, to various folks who were just saying it's a triumph. It, it's some of Mr. Gunn's very best work. By the way, this coming August marks 10 years since James Gunn uh, was first signed to do the Guardians of the Galaxy film. And, and, and by the way, that period includes the nine months between July of 2018 and March of 2019 when James was forced off the franchise because uh, Disney basically fired Mr. Gunn due to some inappropriate things he posted on social media years and years back. But again, very impressive run but not nearly as impressive as the 17 years that Hugh Jackman has played Wolverine Logan uh, for 20th Century Fox, which according to Guinness Book of World Records, that made him the performer with the longest career as a live action superhero, or excuse me, Marvel superhero. Before we get started here, do you have any thoughts about 
Mr. Jackman and his performance as Wolverine? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I got thoughts. Oh, okay. Uh, let's go back to when he was cast, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone went, "Well, who the who's this idiot? Why is he so tall? <laughs> He's way too tall. He won't make a good Wolverine. Too tall. You can't act when you're that tall. Too tall. That's all we heard. Too tall." Then we got in the movie theater, and we got our butts slapped around in that seat quite hard. Went, oh, mm-hmm. Mr. Jackman, is it? Hugh, okay, good. We'll keep an eye on this. And, uh, yeah, he continued to just kill it as that character, which is why he was necessary to be brought back, even as a tiny cameo to tell Xavier to go f*** off. <laughs> it was like, really? You can bring him in for that? Bravo. Well played, Marvel. Well played. <laughs> Well, I, I am so glad to hear, to hear you say that because, again, it is – he had really an interesting road to this role. Let's start with the, the very first uh, Brian Singer's X-Men, which uh, released to theaters in July of 2000. There's a reason that people went hoo-hoo because this is a guy who was mostly known for musical theater at that point. In fact, uh, he had just appeared in the West End in a, a well-received revival of Oklahoma. But he was so far off the radar in regard to the X-Men because initially Brian Singer had wanted Russell Crowe for the role, who turned him down. So Crowe says no. And so Doug Ray Scott, uh, who you folks may know from uh, Mission Impossible 2, he signs the play Logan. And in fact, 20th Century Fox so likes his audition. They sign it for multiple sequels. And the movie starts shooting in September of 1999. Scott is working on Mission Impossible 2. They're having delays in that production, and then he gets injured while shooting a motorcycle chase, and he's forced to pull out of X-Men. And so Singer, once again, reaches out to Russell Coe, begging him to come to this 20th Century Fox Films rescue and suit up as Wolverine. And Crow still says no, but he has a suggestion. His buddy, Hugh Jackman, and again, mostly a stage actor, it's like, He'd be a good fit. You know, give this young actor a shot. So Singer reaches out to Jackman, who also almost says no to the part. Hugh's wife, Deborah Lee, they send the X-Men script along, and so she's reading it. And she goes, her husband, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. You know, just like, don't make this movie. But Brian begs and pleads, and the money is right, and after a successful audition, Hugh flies to the United States where he joins the cast of X-Men, but they're already three weeks into production. And right off the bat, he gets off on the wrong foot because he's an Australian. He's not much of a comic book fan. And so Jackman had studied wolves (laughs) as Wolverine. He thought, you know, it's like, you know, he didn't know there was an actual Wolverine. The I-N-E of Wolverine is to imply ish. It's like Wolverish. I'm kind of Wolverine in that way. And uh, so, hey, mate, I'm going to go study them American wolves up there. I believe they got some gray ones. Some mighty big blokes there. Yeah. So a picture arriving on the set explaining that you've studied wolves and it's like, that's nice. Well, does he then immediately turn and go, can I now get a book on wolverines then? (laughs) I got to study them real quick. When do I shoot? Ten minutes. Can you give it the, uh, what's the short one with the cliff notes version? Can you give me one of them on a wolverine? Does it like tangerines? Well, uh, okay. So we now pivot to Anna Paquin, who played Rogue. 
on the 20th century and the, the 20th century Fox X movies. And she recently put her in an appearance in the Sirius XM uh, Jess Cagle show. And she talked about the hell that Hugh Jackman dealt with as he arrived on the set. You know, again, film's already weeks into production, and he gets dropped in the deep end. And this is this is what the story that Ms. Pacman had to share. Hugh got put through the ringer on the first X-Men movie and never, ever complained. I mean, it's minus 40 degrees out, and Hugh is being dropped off of some building onto his back over and over and over again. And even after enduring something like that, Hugh still behaved to the cast and the crew like this nice, normal human being. Hugh is also wearing these claw prosthetics, so his, his hands are basically useless. And me personally, a couple times, I had to pick bits of cigar out between Hugh's teeth because he just couldn't do it himself when the, the claws were out without causing personal damage. And I have a lot of close friends from my years working in the X-Men movies, but Hugh is one, the one I remain closest to. Not just because I had all of my scenes with the guy, but also because Hugh was and is this lovely, gracious human being. Wolverine was a challenging role for Jackman in a lot of reasons. And first and foremost, Logan doesn't have a whole lot of lines. So <laughs> I guess after he finished going through the Wolverine cliff notes, he pivoted to Clint Eastwood and his performance in those spaghetti westerns, uh, the Ser Sergio Leone, where he played the man with no name. And he learned how to squint and look left and go. right real shifty-like. Yeah. Yeah. And he also, whenever possible, he did Wolverine stunts himself, which perhaps explains Paquin's backwards off a building story. X-Men is a hit when it comes out in theaters in June of 2000. And Hugh actually takes home a Saturn Award, which is the Oscar for sci-fi films as best actor for his work as Wolverine. And so Jackman gets invited back to play Logan in, in, in X2 in 2003. And this time, because he had sufficient prep, he actually muscled up for the role prior. And, and by the way, there are also these hilarious stories about for the first film, they had to put his co-stars on boxes or put lifts in their shoes to try to give them sufficient height. Because again, Logan is supposed to be a shorter muscular guy, but he does the prep each time he plays the role. So it's the same route with 2006 uh, X-Men The Last Stand. Likewise, the prequel uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. And you mentioned his, his fun cameo in X-Men First Class. Likewise, 2013's Wolverine, 2014's X-Men Days of Future Past, and 2016's follow-up to Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse. And on each of these films, as he's portraying Logan, it meant that he had to wear those claws, which became something of a constant on-the-job hazard. And Hugh did an interview uh, relatively recently where he talked about, well, I guess I should have told Brian back when I first auditioned for the part that I'm really something of a klutz. That's why I have scars all over me from playing Wolverine. I'm, I'm a bit clumsy. I've got scars on one leg, punctures straight through the cheek and on my forehead. You know, I can just imagine him having a chat one day with Robert England. You're like, tell me about your worst day at work. Ah, oh, I forgot I had the glove on, went to pick my nose, almost shredded my face. Oh, mate, tell me about it, right? Oh, I would pay good money to sit in on that conversation. Oh, that's great. No, somebody has to set that up. That That's a Zoom thing people would pay to sure. see. But anyway, these scars, uh, plus all the months of working out he'd have to do prior to getting in shape to properly portray Logan for X-Men movies, 
Well, one of the reasons that in 2015, Jackman announced that the 2017 sequel to The Wolverine, Logan, would be the final time that he'd portray this character. And what Jackman hadn't counted on was how acclaimed Wolverine would become. This James Mangold film was one of the best review was flat out the best reviewed of all the X-Men movies. Its script, as we mentioned earlier, uh, got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay at the 90th Academy Awards. First time ever that a live-action superhero film ever got nominated for screenwriting. Wolverine then goes on to sell $619 million worth of tickets worldwide and becomes the third highest grossing R-rated film of all time, which does not go unnoticed by one Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios, who, when Disney completed its $71.3 billion acquisition of certain assets of 20th Century Fox, in particular the movie rights to Fantastic Four and the X-Men, Evidently, as the story goes, begins a conversation with Mr. Jackman about possibly returning to the role of Logan in some yet-to-be-determined MCU project. Now, where this gets interesting is Hugh has reportedly, repeatedly said no to Kevin's offers. And so did Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. That's actually the, the, the story that's been told to me, that, that Feige supposedly responded, wait till you see what we're doing with Spider-Man No Way Home. We can do something similar with Logan, like we just did with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, to have the character of Wolverine stay true to everything that happened before, but still find a way to bring Logan into the MCU in a way that's fun for you and fun for the fans. And the part of this story that I love is supposedly Feige allegedly offered to put Jackman in touch with McGuire and Garfield. Let the three of them talk about the input that Toby and Andrew had when it came to how their versions of Peter Parker were portrayed in Spider-Man No Way Home. Well, let me, let me for, ask you the important question. All right, all right, man, how many zeros are on the check? And then they tell him they both jot down a number on a piece of paper. They fold it in half, slide it across the desk. He reads it. He goes, all right, I'm back as the Wolverine. Well, that will obviously be part of the decision. But, but there was a wonderful article that The Hollywood Reporter did in like the last week about bringing uh, McGuire and Garfield in. I mean, the stories they tell were uh, these two guys, they they couldn't show them script because the scenes hadn't been written yet. Mm. So they, they joined the project as Articles of Faith. And meanwhile, the screenwriters go off over the Christmas of 2020 and write the scenes and then send them to Toby and Andrew. And what's fascinating is they come back and it's like they really like what they, they came up with, but then they start to have this conversation where they, they each of them have their own take on it. Like, for example, Toby McGuire, he didn't want to necessarily fill in a lot of history about what his character had been up to over the years. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm just there, you know, just, whereas on the other hand, Andrew Garfield was very, very much dug down deep. He, he really got off on the notion that the, his Peter Parker was the middle brother. And so needed that little bit more attention, you know, it was fighting for the spotlight and really loved since um, he, he lost Gwen, 
that he'd gone to a really, really dark place. And that, you know, uh, in fact, he talked about how his version of Spider-Man had stopped pulling his punches. And so his appearance in this movie was really about redemption. And it was just, you know, the whole notion of these guys, I mean, these guys came in and they influenced the script in a big way. And they definitely had a hand in how they're portrayed. And that's the thing of why Feige wants Hugh Jackman to to talk to these two guys. Because it's like, look, you can come back, you can do Logan however you want to do Logan. But of course, the downside of this is even if Hugh were to ever take Kevin up on this offer, for the better part of the next year, he's committed to appearing in the, the Broadway revival of Music Man. And it can't be a coincidence that over at Disney Plus, we you know, just passed back in November, we saw them announce the X-Men 97 animated series. The, you mm. know, the company is definitely getting back into the X-Men business. And what better way, you know, to sort of introduce the set of characters than, you know, revive the animated series from the, from the 90s and, you know, kind of cherry picking. You know, you, you can watch certain of the X-Men movies over on Disney+. Plus. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years to see whether or not we do see Hugh Jackman's version of the Wolverine appear in some form as part of the MCU. It seems like we've got such a long way to go because there's so many like we we know the the titles of the Disney Plus series that are coming out but we have no idea what the release dates are. They're just mm-hmm. like summer and fall and you know seasonal like pumpkin pie. Nope. And uh we also have some some movies that are all lined up and then we get to a certain point in that calendar where it just goes untitled Marvel film to be released on this day here. And yeah. you know that like I I believe the first one of those mm-hmm. is going to be the team up movie like the new Avengers, the young Avengers, the whatever team up title it, it ends up being. But like after that, then do we get Fantastic Four next? Do we get X-Men next? I mean, how many phases do we have to wait before Hugh Jackman comes back. I mean, it's a long ways away. It's a long ways away. I, and you are not wrong. But but at the same time, I still am basking in the afterglow of Spider-Man No Way Home, the impossible movie. That the you know, that there is no way that movie should have worked. So and they pull let it me off. ask you this. So if, if they yeah. do that with Logan, if they bring Hugh Jackman in, is it just as special? Or is it a new trope, a new gag, where it's just like, oh, we got to do this with all the characters now? Uh, where where does it know, end? You know, I mean, we we got a new Blade coming, but do we get the old Blade coming back as well, just because Wesley Snipes also likes the taste of money? I do not know how to answer that, because there there is a part of me that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing Patrick Stewart come back as as Professor X. But at the same time, Sir Ian McKellen, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's a dangerous road to go down. I see what you're saying. but Yeah, I mean, at at some point, it's, I mean, we can acknowledge that they exist out there. We can, you know, during Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, they can crack open a little window into a multiverse place and Hugh Jackman can be there and he can say, f*** off. And then they'll close the seal right back up and move on. And that will be our acknowledgement that he exists and he's out there somewhere along with the entire rest of the cast that we don't need to see right now. 
and then we can move on and just have someone else be recast as Wolverine and and do uh, new X Men. Because the thing is, as soon as you start getting into, uh, we got to bring Hugh Jackman back. Then it does become well, we got to get Patrick Stewart back, or do we go with uh, the other guy? There we you go. Know, and, and do we bring back we that go. version? I mean, we love Hugh. Nothing against him. Mm-hmm. Time for new stuff. That's it. Well, again, it it'll be interesting in a couple of years to see how this actually plays out. And more to the point, whether Mr. Jackman, who, uh, one final story, because, again, you have to go watch this video. It's from Sutton Foster, as we mentioned at the, the top of the segment, came down with COVID. And they are in the middle of previews of The Music Man, which meant that her understudy, uh, a woman uh, who had only you know been watching from the sidelines, had seven hours to get ready to go on in front of a full Broadway audience. And so that night she steps into the role for, you know, of Mary and the Librarian, and they go through the entire show. And at the end of the show, they're, they're doing the, the curtain calls, and Hugh stops the show. And he not only brings her down front, the young woman who stood in for Sutton Foster, but he brings in the other four understudies of the show and proceed to explain to the audience how these performers are the heart and soul of Broadway and explains that seven hours ago, she found out she was doing this role and, you know, had to immediately go to a wig fitting and, you know, and get in the costume and get ready to come on. And she, she did this, you know, this is the bravest thing I've ever seen in my entire life and stood there and, and you know, I want you to acknowledge it. I want you to applaud, you know, and, and leads the audience in a standing ovation for this, this crew of people. And it, it's honestly, it's the classiest thing I have ever seen another performer do for, you know, and, and you know, face it, you know, this, this is an understudy, you know, doesn't normally get in the spotlight, let alone have the star of the show take you down front and go, hey, let me tell you about this really brave young woman right here. So, I don't know, just based on that story alone, I want to see more Hugh Jackman. But anyway, okay, that's it for this week, folks. And if people are looking for more of your mm. your insights and that sort of thing, mm. they can find you on social media, right? Yeah, it's very, very easy. Just take a long walk along the beach, find a seashell, hold it up to your ear, listen very closely, and you'll hear it go, at Abroad. Wow. Okay, I need to spend more time at the beach. Um, okay, uh, our plugs. Let's see, Nancy would like me to remind you that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. If you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, that would be helpful. Uh, if you really, really, really like what you heard tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that will be helpful. But seriously, folks, you, you want to see an, an amazing little thing on YouTube, go over to uh, just type in uh, Hugh Jackman, Music Man, uh, Curtain Call, and you'll see a great speech. And okay, that's going to do it for today. Thank you for listening. And Aaron and I will be back with a brand new show next week. <laughs>